Good morning. Good morning, my family. Oh, man. You guys are so welcoming. Um, so, to, to be like totally honest with you, these last couple weeks have been incredibly difficult for me. Um, my wife, she's five months pregnant, which is just so, so exciting. Um, but it also came with, she was on like disability and bed rest for, for almost two months and is just kind of now starting to normalize. Um, it's been in a lot of very gut-wrenching conversations recently and I lost my grandmother uh, like two weeks ago. And so while we're driving here, I'm like, man, like, and I hope I don't cry while I'm preaching. <laughs> um, so if I do, I'm like, the church is graceful. Amen. Uh, but honestly, showing up here this morning and just the couple of different interactions that I had with people, I just felt so loved and welcomed. Um, and, and honestly, it makes sense. You know, the people that I know from the Bronx, like, okay, first the Hooks, we first interacted with them at a uh, marriage uh, retreat many years ago. And I was just like, wow, they seem really cool. I'd love to get to know them. They were teaching one of the classes, but I'm like, I probably will never get a chance to really get to know them. And so here we are years later, both on the East Coast. Very cool thing. Um, and then Charles, it's kind of cool. I left around the time that he was baptized in New Jersey and I would come back multiple times a year. And every time I came back, he had grown in his faith, in his love, in his purity. And I just kept seeing him more and more as the shining example of what it means to let God move and change your life. And I'm just it's so exciting to see him doing the work of Christ and serving as much as he can. And I also, I get the pleasure of working with Elaine. And guys, Elaine is so loving, is so caring. She is so intelligent. She could have done any number of things with her career, and she chose to give it to God. So yeah, I, I tell you, despite the fact that these weeks have been tough, showing up here and feeling welcomed, it's just a reminder of how strong this family is and what a beautiful thing we've been blessed with in this family. And that's what I'm going to talk about a little bit today, this idea that it doesn't matter where we are, where God has put our boundaries, that we can grow right where we're planted and be part of something truly incredible that is reconciling the entire world to God. But it does take some steps from us in, in realigning our perspective to really see it that way. Uh, so let's turn over to uh, Philippians 2. I'm going to start in verse 12 here. Therefore, my dear friends, have you as, have you as always obeyed not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault and a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on that day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. 
so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Man, the scripture is this incredible promise that this God who created all things would allow us to become his children, that we could somehow work towards becoming blameless and pure before him. But it's also pretty challenging. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Honestly, like, I think it's our, our natural inclination to grumble at that sentence. And the slower we read it, the more challenging it becomes. But amen, those are the words written. Um, and to be honest with you, like, I grew up such a grumbler. And, you know, I, I had this, this God-fearing household. My mom and my dad, they were a man and woman of faith and wanted to do the right thing. And they, they worked very hard to try to instill this fact that, like, okay, you need to learn from God. Um, but, unfortunately, despite that, I grew up with just this deep, entrenched entitlement. I, I didn't like hard work at all. I, I actually I worked for my dad for a number of summers at, at his uh, construction company. And, like, very often, he would give me a task, and then I would go and begrudgingly complete said task, and then I would go find some shade, and I'd sit down, and, like, you know, sipping on a Pepsi or something, and he'd come over, he's like, what are you doing? Like, you're here to work. Why are you on the ground? <laughs> and I just didn't get it. I didn't, like, understand the concept that, like, you finish a task at work, and then you go and you get another task. I don't know. Um, and, and honestly, this entitlement, it, it was sick. Like, I just, I expected to be rich. I didn't have these, like, big dreams of what I was going to do or, like, have a plan. I just expected it. And, and like, honestly, the, this entitled thinking seeped into the way I lived my life in all regards. And because of it, I made horrifically bad decisions. I only applied to one college. And, like, it was such a foolish thing to do. And I look back, and I'm like, okay, where were the adults in my life at that point in time? But if I'm, if I'm being truthful, like, I am sure that some people were like, what are you thinking? And I ignored them and just did my own thing. And, has, like, this also informed my view of Christianity. In my mind, I had this phrase, God loves me and wants me to be happy. And while pieces of that are probably true, that is a gross reduction of the Christian message. That is not the gospel. Yes, God loves us. Yes, he's working for the good of all men. But our entitled happiness is not his primary concern. That was not Christianity. And so that view of Christianity, it didn't stop me from becoming more prideful. It didn't stop me from adding, adding all these vices into my life and just continually being like, ah, it's okay, God loves me, he wants me to be happy, I'm forgiven. Like, it didn't at all challenge my thinking. And it didn't stop me from hurting so many people while calling myself a Christian. And I was not a Christian. 
I cannot look back at that period of my life and, and it all be like, yes, I was. Wasn't. Um, so I, I really love the book of Jude. Uh, so, you know, the short little book, 25 verses, it packs a powerful punch of encouragement and challenge. Um, and when I was studying the Bible and really starting to, you know, let people open up my life and ask me questions, I read Jude and it just, it walloped me. It just hit me so hard, and specifically Jude 16. These are grumblers finding fault. Following after their own lusts, they speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. And word for word, that was me. I couldn't look at like other sinless in the Bible. I could kind of give myself some grace on some of the words and terms This one was me. And it also is who Satan is desperate to have me become again. And as I proceed through different stages of my life and I'm in new different situations, Satan's working to pull me right back into this mentality. So, yeah, it's it's painful for me to read it. Like, again, those people that I hurt while calling myself a Christian, there's a reason that people hate the religion of Christianity. And it's because of who I was then. It's because I lived my life without regard for at all what God was asking me to do and instead just went by my own devices, my own opinion of the Word. Not good. <laughs> James one twenty seven says, Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. It's a beautiful thing. If someone tells you, like, oh, I, you know, I don't like religion, I'm just spiritual, point to James 1.27. Because I I, you can't argue with this as a bad thing. But this is what we have to live like to actually give that, that example Like, true religion is amazing. It changes our heart. It changes the way that we live. It changes the very structures of power in the world. It replaces everything and kind of flips the tables. Like, Jesus looked around at things and he's like, no, it's going to be different. We're going to use the authority that God has given us to serve others. And that's the greatness. It's not that you're serving others so that someday you have some great thing. That is the gift that God designed us to do. And it's not just that we can live this way, it's that we must. That has to just infiltrate our entire way of thinking and being. But yeah, it's, it's so good. And it's also really hard. <laughs> so, I became a disciple on September 19, 2010. Um, here's me getting baptized. Now, Some of these years have been incredibly hard. Some have felt easy. But I am confident that each of those years as a disciple has been my best year so far of life. And it's not because I fixed myself. It's not because I somehow worked through all my ways of thinking and and changed my opinion. It's because God humbled my heart (laughs) and taught me that I, I shouldn't be entitled. I have no right to anything, but like, I've been given this gift of salvation, and this gift of grace, 
that makes me want to be a different guy than I was. And like, you know, I'm, I'm still a mess. I still make huge mistakes. But I think I get it a little bit more. Christianity is more than God loves me and wants me to be happy. It's a bigger and more powerful and more life-changing than that. So I would love to tell you that then I was baptized and I ceased being entitled. But that's not true. Um, things had, for most of my life, gone very well for me. And post-graduating college, I had this really great consulting gig in the city. Um, I had a lot of plans for what I was going to do with the money and how things were going. And just it all felt good and just felt easy. Um, and, you know, I think God humbles us the most when we need the most humbling. So about two months into having this great new job, um, I left my laptop on a train. I was going from one location to the other, train transfer, put the laptop up. Suddenly I get home, laptop is gone. And it has tons of, like, customer-sensitive data on it. <laughs> like, not good. Um, and even though, like, I ended up recovering the laptop and, like, my boss was like, don't worry, you know, you made a mistake, it's not a big deal. Um, a couple of days later, he called me to say, you can also no longer work for us. <laughs> so, you know, amen. Um, and it was terrifying. Here I am, 22 years old. Most things had gone pretty well for me. And I'm $155,000 in debt. And I lost my first, like, real adult job two months after getting it. And I felt unhirable and just scared. And there was sin in my life. And, like, I was still so entitled. And those months after that, it was amazing. God pulled off all of these layers, all of this veneer, all of these expectations, all of this entitlement, and was like, no. You're my son. That's what matters, not all this other stuff. So, you know, it's with these different situations in life, where we work, where we live, like we don't always get to pick them. We like to think that we do, but we often don't. And it doesn't matter where we are. God is giving us opportunities and moments to grow right there and to do something amazing for him right there. So through losing my job, I ended up moving out to St. Louis. And uh, there I started working for like this larger international company. And I want to show you, this is the St. Louis Arch, um, which you might be familiar with. And it's, you know, it's cool. Like, you, you go to it, it's impressive. Uh, they actually have, like, city ordinances that you're not allowed to build any buildings taller than the arch because it's the thing. Um, and, you know, people in that area, <laughs> I'm sure the hooks will attest, like, they love the arch. They put it in their, on their billboards, in company names. Like, it is such a piece of the local culture there. Um, and, you know, honestly, this is, we as humans, we think this way. We're always looking for some, like, big monument to tie ourselves to that, like, gives us a sense of identity. And like, okay, yeah, this is, this is the cool arch of my city that I, that I live in. Does that, does that make sense? So, so yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll, that will be useful in some further illustrations. Uh, and so during this time, you know, there was a lot of really cool things happening at work. And I kept getting these different opportunities, and I kind of kept taking them. And... Each one came at the cost of 
a little bit more of my time, a little bit more of the time that I would otherwise have for my marriage, that I would otherwise have for the church. Each came with a little bit more responsibilities and expectations, a little bit more of my heart, a little bit more of any type of creative energy that I had. Like, it kept going into this thing. And it kept, like, you know, it, it felt good, and it felt like, okay, this, this makes sense. Um, and Satan is constantly lying to us to make us believe that these other human things, these jobs, like, they're where we should keep putting our bets into and our time and our, our money. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So this all kind of really came to a head in about 2016. So Hannah and I, we were, we were leading our young professionals uh, ministry in St. Louis, uh, which is like your bridge here. Um, and it was really a, a great thing. Like, we loved it. Um, we loved having people in our homes. Like, we just felt useful. Like, it was amazing. But also, it was completely unsustainable. Here I am working like 60 plus hours a week, traveling a lot, and then trying to help out this local ministry and, and give as much time as possible there. And like, I wouldn't give back that time at all because it was so good and so much happened, but it was not a life that could have made any sense. We would have never brought a child into that situation. Like, it just it didn't make sense of like, okay, we can keep doing these things. So around that point in time, uh, we had an opportunity to go out to Dubai. Uh, and Dubai is like, it's so weird. <laughs> it's like everything is just so much more extra in Dubai. Like there's all these like gold-plated cars and like they have indoor ski slopes and it's just like all these incredibly high towers, including right now the tallest tower in the world. So that's called the Burj Khalifa, uh, which has no relation to Wiz Khalifa. They're separate entities. Um, <laughs> And I want to show you the Burj Khalifa compared to the St. Louis Arch. <laughs> and you know what I mean? Like, being from St. Louis for a time, like, it's a little embarrassing. Like, there's our, there's our monument, you know. And it's actually really funny. When you are going up the elevator to the top floor in the Burj Khalifa, you are passing by, in the elevator they're showing on the wall screen, all these other towers that you are now higher than. And higher than. And so, you know, it gets to the Empire State Building and they're doing their thing like, oh yeah, that's down there. We're up here. And this is the way that the world works. Right? There's always something bigger. There's always something better. That even if you go and build the tallest tower in the world, people are actively trying to build something bigger. And so, you know, we're up there at the very top of this crazy building, and you're looking around, and there's skyscrapers that you can see that just look pathetic in comparison to where you are. And it's cool. It's, it's interesting. You know what I mean? Like, it was, a, it was a nice sight to see. But the wildest thing is that the best time that we had in Dubai was not there, was not seeing all these other really cool sights, it was the time that we spent with disciples. <laughs> the family dinners that we had, these different like situations where uh, we came out a little pixelated, but like all these different like just times that we had right on the ground floor meeting with our family it was so encouraging and so exciting and just so much more. Like I got back to St. Louis and I'm telling people at my job about the trip. And, like, they're asking me about the sites, and I'm telling them about the disciples, and they're like, you're so weird. And I'm like, you don't get it. 
The, and, you know, honestly, so this is Abhijit and Rowena. They took the whole day off to just take us around and show us different places and stuff. And we, we hung out with them for one day, and they are lifelong friends now. We, we Skype with them a couple times a year. When they come out here for Vision 2020, they're going to first fly up to the New York area and stay with us for a couple days, and we'll all head down to the... Like, one day. One day as disciples, sharing with each other and talking about real things and really talking about our past and the present and how God's working on our life now. Like, that's all it took. And getting to meet them was far more valuable than all the other stuff of the trip. Than than whatever pay I got while being out there. And so, like... Yeah, it's just, it's amazing. It, it kind of helped reshape our thinking and, and opened up a lot of different doors. Um, and it's just so cool because we look at that scripture that talks about shining like stars, and the people out there, the church out there, they showed me that. It was so clear that they loved God with their minds, their heart, their soul, and their strength. It was so obvious from their welcome, open arms. They just saw the world in a different perspective than the world sees things. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it's, it's so cool. This happened, like I said, everywhere that we went and traveled, we'd, we would just be reminded that, oh my goodness, like God is doing something really cool. God is actually changing the world through these relationships. He's actually teaching people to be like new and to have reformed views of how they live their lives and how they spent their time and energy. Um, and it challenged me. <laughs> so about a year after that trip, I actually ended up giving up that job um, to go into youth and family ministry with Hannah. Uh, and, you know, it wasn't an easy choice. I really did love the type of work that I was doing. Um, a, I took, like, what an 86% pay cut. So, <laughs> a, different, a different lifestyle, right? But try and call me foolish. Like, I've been to different places and I've seen God utterly transform lives. I've seen my own heart completely change based on these scriptures. Based on these points of view, like, live your life without grumbling or arguing. (laughs) It's amazing. It's so, so amazing. I saw my own entitled, bitter heart be changed by what God is doing in the world. And so, I'm not saying that we all need to go into the ministry. That doesn't, it's not practical. But, don't be like me. Don't be deceived by Satan that all of your time and all of your money and all of your ideas belong to the people that you work for. That belong to this tower and this tower and this taller building. Like, that's what the world is desperate to convince us of, and it's not true. It's just not true. So, those different ideas that you have to meet and love your neighborhood... Those different ideas that you say of like, oh wow, we could probably help 
these, these, those in this nursing home over here, or these orphans over here, don't just keep kicking those down the road because you're busy. Don't keep getting sucked into everything else and say like, oh yeah, that's going to be really awesome when I do it someday. Take that on now. Your time, God's. Your heart is His. Your mind, your very soul. Like He designed each one of us uniquely to be in the situations that we are and to show His glory in that situation. So yeah, like grab on to those things and really see where God will take it and what He plans to do with your neighborhood and the people that you work with and the people that you interact with on the train, wherever. Like, it's really cool. God is trying to reconcile this entire world to himself, and we get to participate in that. Um, You know, one last thing that I wanted to mention about when I got baptized. So I got baptized as attached to some of the summer internships that were happening in 2010. So, like, I had known Rob for a long time, but the reason that we were able to connect is that we were both working in Manhattan at the time, him as an intern for the church uh, and me for this other company, and so through those interactions in 2010, that's what helped open my door, my eyes to the scriptures, which means that if you gave any money at all to special missions in 2010, you're part of the reason that God found me and saved me, which is, I'm so, so thankful for. So I want to talk a little bit about Isaiah. Because Isaiah 24 through 27 has this really rich imagery. And essentially what's happening is that the prophet is comparing this city that is the best that the world can come up with and this other city, which he describes as God's holy mountain. Um, And so he's kind of working through these scriptures and he's helping us see that like the very best that the world has to offer is embarrassing compared to what God has. Um, And at one point it even talks about how like essentially it's like swimming in sewage compared to it. Here is Mount Everest compared to the Burj Khalifa. And you know what? Humans are going to keep building taller towers. And maybe someday someone will build a tower that's as tall as Mount Everest. But the world is never going to build the city that we have amongst one another when we love and serve and not argue and not grumble the way that God designed us to be. And you know what I mean? This this imagery, it helps me make the decision. Am I investing in the eternal or am I investing in human progress? Isaiah 25, 2-9. You have made the city a heap of rubble, the fortified town a ruin, the foreigner stronghold a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will honor you. Cities of ruthless nations will revere you. You have been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy in their distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm driving against a wall and like the heat of the desert. You silence the uproar of foreigners as heat is reduced by the shadow of a cloud, so the song of the ruthless is stilled. 
On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. And if we could go back to the mountain slide, like this holy mountain is so incredible because it doesn't just exist in one place. It exists in St. Louis and Dubai, right here in the Bronx, Like, we all get to participate in this holy community that stretches around the world and is helping to reconcile the world to God. And we can grow right where we're planted. We all have a little piece in this holy city as described by Isaiah. It's really cool. Uh, You know, Proverbs 21-22 says, A wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the stronghold in which they trust. And I think it's, it's particularly cool that you guys, right here in the Bronx, you get to be those wise men and women that look around at the indulgence of the world around us and say, no, we have something better. Come have a meal with me and I'll show you. Grow where you are planted. Philippians 2 Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word. So, you know, having a baby starts to change your perspective on a lot of things. And it's, it's exciting, but it's also just another opportunity for Satan to get in there and be like, ooh, hold back a little bit more money. Protect a little bit more. Gather. Gather. And that's not what God teaches us. He teaches us to be prudent, but He also teaches us to lay down everything that we have to chase after what He's provided. To chase after this holy mountain. To participate in a community together that loves and serves and views humility as more important than success that views service as more important than influence, that looks around and says to other people in our everyday interactions, you are more important than me. A careful reading of the Scripture teaches us that we need to look around at other people and say, you are more important than me. And having that perspective... It flips everything. It totally changes how we use our time, how we use our money, because we're suddenly realizing, like, oh my goodness, 
everyone is God's children, but we need to help them get there. And the only way they're going to get there is by seeing real radical love, radical service, and radical sacrifice. So thank you guys so much for having me today.